podcast one production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. The man. The man that knows everything that is going on in the world. You serious? A mouse sneezes in Afghanistan. This man knows about it. <laughs> PhDs. He has been a commentator in Australian media for years now on international relations. And that's why we love having him on board on this podcast, Global Truths. Um, today we're going to be talking about NATO. It has been 70 years since NATO was created in the aftermath of World War II. It served an incredibly important um, purpose then, Keith. Some would argue that potentially it's not so useful these days. Give me some of the history behind it. All right. So NATO means North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So as part of a network of defence alliances the United States created after World War II to contain the Soviet Union. So there was also a CETO and a CENTO. So Central Treaty Organization and a Southeast Asia Treaty Organization. So you had this network of arrangements encircling the old Soviet Union. So NATO was established 70 years ago, and it's now one of the world's oldest military alliances. Military alliances are marriages of convenience, so that as soon as the immediate threat is over, the alliance tends to disappear. So NATO has kept going for the last 70 years, and we've just had in London a conference to commemorate the 80 years. They didn't call it a summit conference because they were very unsure about President Trump, and of course arising out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization event at Buckingham Palace was some remarkable film footage of Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, Princess Anne, uh, the Queen's daughter, and a couple of others. And they're, they're standing around and Trudeau is entertaining the group by ridiculing Trump for making a media conference last for 40 minutes, which is why all the scheduling was thrown out of order, because Trump just kept the press conference going. And so they were joking about this. They were ridiculing him. Very interesting story behind this. The Buckingham Palace only allowed one lot of uh, camera crew in there to film proceedings. It was the official government camera person and, and sound recordist. And it was a very smart person on Canadian television who are naturally following their prime minister around the world, they picked up the fact that you could probably understand from the audio recording what was going on and why people like Boris Johnson were laughing uh, along with the Canadian prime minister. And they did a brilliant job on recreating the sound. So Buckingham Palace never expected the sound to be used in the way that it was. Clearly it was true because we've all got it on tape and the, and the film footage. And Trump was really angry about this because it, it shows really that instead of being the leader of the free world, he's really come to be ridiculed. And so I think that tragically that will be the thing that is most remembered about the NATO event for the 70th birthday. Now, in terms of its, its background, one way of understanding NATO is that his job has been to keep the Soviets out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. Can I just quickly go back just for one second while we're on that? Um, With the NATO thing, the irony, of course, is that Trump was bagging NATO just a little while ago. Yes, and now, of course, (laughs) he's supporting it. And and it was President Macron who said that NATO is brain dead. So, So we have President Trump, who is a 
candidate in 2016, critical of, of NATO, now actually defending NATO. Just, I know. Uh, and I know, we're at a loss. We're, we're at, at a loss. loss. Keep, we're at a loss. Back we're to the history, loss. as you were. So, okay, back to the history. So it's been argued that the, the original purpose of NATO was to keep the Soviets out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. In other words, you keep the Soviet Union out of Western Europe, you keep the Americans involved in Western Europe. The great fear after World War II is that the Americans would do after World War II what they did after World War I, namely leave Europe to its own devices and just concentrate on America, the policy of isolationism. So NATO was seen as a way of drawing America into Europe's affairs. And then you also want to keep the Germans down. So at the end of World War I... Germany was basically untouched by the war. A lot of, obviously, a lot of soldiers have been killed, but there were no foreign occupying troops on German soil. So during World War II, Winston Churchill, who had lived through the previous World War, said, Look, we've got to do better this time. Germany has to be taken over and smashed up. And so Germany was then divided into four areas. So the Soviet Union got what, what we call East Germany. And Britain, France and the United States all got a slice of what then ultimately became West Germany. And so the Westerners did the Russians a favour by occupying Western Germany. The Soviets did the Westerners a favour by occupying Eastern Germany. And of course, as the decades evolved, Germany moved away from its militaristic history. It disavowed Hitler um, and it's really, you know, joined uh, the modern civilised group of countries now. So NATO then was formed 70 years ago. It may well have accomplished its task by 1991, which is when the Soviet Union collapsed and effectively the end of the Cold War. So here we still are. We've still got NATO, but we no longer have a Soviet Union. We have a Russia and we have Russia causing problems. We need at some point, by the way, to look at Ukraine to make understanding, you know, not just of the impeachment crisis, but what exactly has been going on with Ukraine. So, okay, the Russians are causing mischief in eastern Ukraine, but they're not the major force that they were immediately after World War II. And indeed, we know they were never that big a force anyway. Russia. Russia, yeah. because they, their Which economy, would come as a shock to quite a few people, I would think. Yeah, the economy was the size of Canada's. But what you could do in a centrally controlled economy is simply to say to people, you'll only have one brand of toothpaste. That's it. We will put our money into military resources and then later on space exploration. That's how the old Soviet Union was able to convey this impression of being an equal of the United States. It never was an equal, not even an equal of California in terms of economic size. But it was the way that it was able to masquerade as the other superpower. So anyway, everything fell apart in 1991. So the old Soviet Union had then folded up by then. And so there is this challenge, or what are we going to do about NATO? NATO, ironically, was never deployed in military sense in Western Europe. Thankfully, it never had to be used. It's a bit like having an insurance policy, which you never actually have to use. The only time that the NATO treaty has been put into operation it was actually in the year 2001, after the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the United States. So this is um, uh, assumed to be Osama bin Laden conducting those Al-Qaeda attacks on the United States. 
by the way, I've got to say, the more I learn about 9-11, the less I understand, but that's a separate matter. So at that point, Article 5, which is the key provision in the treaty, gets implemented. And at that point, um, this is this notion of collective defence. So an attack on one is to be regarded as an attack on all of them. And so you then end up with a lot of NATO countries working with the United States in Afghanistan. Uh, So that's been the only time that it's actually been used. So there is this question about, therefore, what are we really going to do with NATO? NATO has been expanding its eastern border. This was in contravention of the deal made by President Bush Sr. with Mikhail Gorbachev. So if you go back to November 1989, the Berlin Wall comes down and suddenly you can move easily from East Germany into West Germany. But remember, under that World War II peace treaty, which was drawn up after the end of World War II, the British, French and Americans had bases in Western Europe, which they still do, by the way. And the the Russians, the Soviets, had their military forces in East Germany. So the question was then, how do you remove those Russian forces from East Germany? They've got every right to be there. After all, the British are still there in theirs. Why not let the Soviets or Russians continue with theirs? And so there was an informal agreement between uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet leader, and President Bush Sr. and the Secretary of State Baker, whereby it was agreed that the Russians would pull out of East Germany, allowing East Germany to be amalgamated with West Germany, on the understanding that NATO itself would not move into the old Soviet empire in Eastern Europe. So countries like uh, Czechoslovakia and Poland, etc., which used to be occupied by the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union said, if we withdraw from all of those territories, give them full independence, NATO must agree not to get involved in those territories, must not invite them to join NATO. President Bush Sr. honoured that deal. The change occurred in 1996 with President Bill Clinton, who then started to invite these East European countries into NATO. And this is what's added to the Russian paranoia. The Russians are worried about being invaded all the time. And this is just simply fed into that paranoia. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking about NATO because it is the 70th anniversary of the organisation, which was formed after World War II. But the dynamics have changed, Keith, and that's what we were just talking about because instead of just being a handful of countries, Bill Clinton, when he came to power in the 90s, after it was agreed not to invite any other one, any other European countries to join, he started to invite them. So these Eastern blocs, which Russia has traditionally been threatened by. That's right. And so that has been the way in which you invaded Russia from Napoleon, Hitler. You move east through those territories. And so the Soviet Union acquired those territories at the end of World War II as a buffer zone between itself and its traditional enemies like France and Germany. So, and I think we need to look at this in the context of Ukraine because you need to have that history to understand why Putin has behaved in the way that he has in Ukraine. But that'll be, I'm sure, a a later program. What I find fascinating is that NATO is now looking around for a new role. It doesn't want to fight Russia in Ukraine. Just simply looking at the 
geography, because geography is always important in warfare, Ukraine is just too far east for NATO to easily supply a force that will be operating there. So NATO doesn't really want to get involved in Ukraine and the war between Ukraine or the, the tensions between Ukraine and Russia. So no, no European operations. Afghanistan, we see troops being gradually removed uh, from Afghanistan. Did the Russians ever partake in the Russian in the American war in Afghanistan? Because there's, again, the, the <laughs> irony of that. Exactly. What the Russians did after 9-11, remember they'd been driven out of um, Afghanistan in 1989, <laughs> having been fighting there for 10 years. In uh, 2001, when the Americans decided to invade Afghanistan, the Soviets gave them intelligence. So they didn't, didn't supply any troops, but they said, look, this is particular information you need to have in terms of how you deploy your troops, etc. So, yes, the, the Russians were helpful to the Americans because the Russians were the ones who were concerned about the rise of militant Islam, well ahead of the United States. The Americans were very slow to learn uh, or to acknowledge there was a problem with militant Islam. Indeed, they were supporting militant Islam in the case of Afghanistan with the hope of being able to stir up Islam within the southern Islamic republics of the old Soviet Union. They wanted to get the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan and then trap it in a Vietnam War, which, of course, is what happened for 10 years. In the year 2001, we then get the United States replacing Russia as the occupying force in Afghanistan. President Trump is doing his best to withdraw from Afghanistan. He would love to do it by November of next year. That's another issue that we need to look at, uh, what has gone wrong with Afghanistan. It, it's now America's longest running war. The Russians was, would have said to the Americans, don't get involved there, you're not going to win. <laughs> and, of course, you know the Russians would have been correct. So that, that's Afghanistan. So you've got... NATO troops involved there. I might just say there are 300 Australian troops as part of the NATO contingent. So if you remember your geography, you've got the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation and we're in the South Pacific, <laughs> diagonally opposite. But for some reason, we get sucked into these things. <laughs> exactly, we do. So we have 300 uh, troops working with our NATO allies. We're an associate member of NATO. Clearly, we're nowhere near the North Atlantic, but that's Australia's involvement. So... What NATO is looking at now, and as a result of this um, event that's just taken place in England, is that NATO is going to look at what should be its, its future configurations. No one is suggesting that NATO should be wound up. And instead, what they're looking at are the new challenges. So three that are um, very obvious. One is the whole issue of Islamic terrorism, um, in which so many of those countries are already involved in Afghanistan or wherever. It's interesting, by the way, we, we don't get much coverage of it, but the French are heavily involved in fighting Islamic terrorists in Africa. Major activities going on in Africa. You know, we talk about the group like Boko Haram, um, but there, there are other groups that, that are not only in the old British territory, like Nigeria, but they're scattered throughout the old French uh, African empire as well. So one is terrorism. That, that is a, a continuing issue. A second one, of course, is the rise of China. What are you going to do about China? That is always the haunting question. And are we on a collision course with China? So that's the second challenge. And the third challenge is the whole issue of um, outer space. 
which is a long way away from NATO, <laughs> at the North Atlantic. But nonetheless, we know we are looking at sending forces into outer space because that's the next battle zone. If you think about it, we talk about we used to talk about sea and land, and then after World War One, we talked about air. And now we talk about outer space. So that's, uh, and along with cyberspace, there's also another battle space. In other words, that um, the Chinese could destroy the United States without firing a shot. <clears throat> they would simply hack into all the important computer systems in the United States, turn off the water supply, flood other areas by opening the, air, the, the water area, closing down traffic lights. Air traffic control. Air, air traffic control, air conditioning systems in buildings. So that's going to be another uh, front for warfare. So you've got sea, land and air, and then we have outer space, and now we also have cyberspace. So these are the new challenges, not so much from the old Soviet Union, but possibly from China. But it's also plenty of scope, of course, for mischief makers such as Iran or North Korea to cause problems, particularly in cyberspace. If they could just get their, you know, what together. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but do we need to worry about, actually, that it's an interesting point you make about China because that is a topic we're going to discuss in the coming weeks as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And whether we, ne- not necessarily we just need them, Keith, but whether the world needs them. And, you know, it fascinates me as well just on that topic um, that America and uh, China have this very tempestuous relationship with Trump at the helm and whether he realises the importance of China or just doesn't care, or just feels like it doesn't apply to him. I don't understand. We're going to discuss that, right? Yep, absolutely. Excellent. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 